0: Hey, good morning. Hey, thank the team for leading you in worship, especially that new song, right? Um, so if, you're, if you get the e-news or you want to hop on our website, you can get information about camp. Uh, this is exciting. We, we think this is going to happen this year. We actually think it will. And, uh, and so, you know, fingers crossed and good prayers and all that. Um, there's some deadlines. You'll save some money if you sign up by February 15th. Some of those are coming up. Uh, ages 7 to 12 um, all the details on the website and uh, our website will link you to their website as well and uh, so we'd love it for you or your kids or your grandkids or neighbors or cousins or whoever uh, wants to get involved or connected to this to do so uh, we think it'll fill up um, we think there's probably uh, uh, some some latent uh, hope for activities like the ones you saw and that you see in the picture so we're excited about what's going to happen um, there's all kinds of things going on that we need to tell you about. We're just going to update you on a few things as we get started. Um, yesterday we did have uh, the Castle Oaks uh, ice fishing day, and so we had some special guests there. It was kind of fun to fish with them. Um, this this is uh, Steve Johnson's handiwork. The picture is so. I think uh, Bernie took the place of Steve there. You might need to look a little closer. To the mittens were handy. It was cold. And so, uh, big thanks to the Haverkates uh, for hosting us at their lake. Yeah, give them a hand. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, the Havercates and, and Craig Ingleson and, and, and even Ingleson's boys, they, they, they do a lot of work to get ready for this. And we come out, and they got poles ready, and, and they're, they're ready to fish, and they've got bait. And they dig holes in the ice, and it's a, I mean, it's an ordeal. I, ice was very thick in Larkspur. It's not in Castle Rock. We're down in Larkspur. It's about a foot thick. And so, um, you know, it, it was a slow day when it comes to fishing. It was so slow, uh, that little hole in the ice represents the number of fish that we caught. Um, <laughs> total from everybody. And so, in the middle of the day, of course, uh, Mark Havercade gets a, a little tube out, and he makes us fun no matter what. So if we can't catch fish, we're at least going to slide around on the ice and have some fun. And it was, it, it was good. It was a good day. But, of course, they're concerned about their leg. They're going to figure that out. And we'll be back, and we'll catch some fish uh, someday soon. But there were, I don't know, 20 fishermen that got skunked. So that was a first for the Havercate Lake. And as, it was interesting. I heard this morning that um, this, Brian Speed and his son, um, Elliot, and Emery, his daughter, came down to fish, and they were leaving, and... Uh, Elliot said to Brian, he said, Brian, dad, he didn't call him Brian. Does he call you Brian? No, he calls you dad, right, right. Um, he said, dad, uh, did we have coronavirus last year when we came fishing? And Brian said, no, no, it hadn't, hadn't happened yet. And Elliot just slumped and looked up and said, I, I don't like coronavirus. And I thought, me either, it's exactly what I thought. Elliot speaks the words that we're all thinking and feeling. And who knows? I mean, I can't, you know, they'll figure it out. It's in the lake, right? Coronavirus. So, um, but we're thankful for the Havercase. case. We still had fun. It was sunny and good food and lots of laughs. Um, and catching fish is overrated. So... A couple of things I want you to know that are going on. Uh, Tammy Brown is working on her her PhD. And uh, we know Tammy well through our connection and and missions and through their organization ideas. And uh, as she's working on her PhD, she needs our help to do research. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Scott Baer mentioned it, I think three weeks ago now. And uh, she is doing a survey. It's been in our e news, we've sent it out as a link here's what she would love. She would love for a few more of you here at Castle Oaks who haven't participated in her survey, who are working full-time to participate in it. And so if you thought about it and then you forgot about it or whatever, or you first time you're hearing about it, go back and check the e-news. In fact, we'll include it in this week's e-news just so that you have a fresh link. Um, But we would love for you full-time workers uh, to participate in it. She's doing a ton of research regarding uh, work and faith and calling and work as mission. And we get to benefit from the research that she does and the stuff that she's writing in her PhD project uh, so that we can ultimately call her Dr. Tammy Brown. And so uh, we're excited about that. We'd love for you to participate and she needs a few more. So if you could do that, that would be great. If you were not here a few weeks ago when Scott Vare shared about mission stuff, then I would encourage you to hop on our website and watch the whole service and watch the people that he chats with the videos that we showed mission partners that we updated you on look if there's ever a time in the last few years when you've needed to be thinking about something other than right here right now and your stuff and your mess and all the stuff that you're dealing with it's it's during this season and so it's a chance for you to hear what's going on around the world if you give to Castle Oaks your money goes to support these people um, if you give other gifts designated to these missionaries, you need their updates. If you want to figure out how to get involved, if you're thinking, you know what, what I need to do is get out of my little bubble and go care about some other people, then they talk about several opportunities for you to do that. One of them is the connection to world orphans and our wellspring partners, and they are putting together with some people from Castle Oaks, great three little three-person partnership there. Um a new marketplace that's going to happen and take place, eventually be located at the Wellspring Art Studio that's down on Perry Street here in Castle Rock. And so a week from this Wednesday, there'll be a meeting for people who want to be engaged in it, right? Is it this? Oh, it's it's Tuesday Tuesday the 9th. Is that right? Okay, Tuesday the 9th. So don't pay attention to what I say. Just read the (laughs) E-news. And you'll want to be a part of that meeting if you're just curious, you want to learn about it then we want you to be engaged with that. It's going to be a pretty neat thing that's happening. And lots of folks are getting involved in a variety of different ways. So mark that down. Be a part of it. And you and I can find ways to make a difference, uh, especially outside of all of the issues that people are dealing with and facing. So you may not know, but the calendar is marching on. And this took me by surprise, as do a lot of things. So um, Lent... This year begins, as, as it always does, on Ash Wednesday, but this year it's on February 17th, which is two weeks from this coming Wednesday. Isn't that fast? It feels like it's fast to me. Um, but maybe that's because my brain is slow, which is normal. So Lent is a big deal because uh, this helps us move toward uh, our celebration of Good Friday and Easter. And we, we observe Lent. Not so that we can, you know, get, get, you know dig into liturgy or maybe the, the church calendar that you grew up with or any of that. We observe Lent so that we can prepare our hearts for really what's being celebrated through Good Friday and through Easter. So we ponder things like, what can I give up during Lent? What, what, what kind of self-denial can I engage in? What, what do I want to set aside to make room for God? And so you've got a couple weeks to ponder that. We will on Ash Wednesday, February 17th, have a service in this room. We'll also stream it to folks uh, outside of here at home in various places, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if you're here, then you get to engage in this ceremony of ashes and the whole deal. Uh, And if you're at home, then we can uh, encourage you to do some things that will make that meaningful to you as well where you are. But we want you to ponder this. We want you to consider it. Because you don't want to get to Lent and think, ah, I guess I'm supposed to give up something and then just pull something out of the hat. We don't want you to feel pressured into doing it. But here's the thing about this spiritual calendar that the church follows. When we engage in Advent, we learn how to wait. When we engage in Lent, we learn how to go without, to understand the power of self-denial. And we understand something about what it means to push toward the sacrifice of Good Friday. And the circumstances of our life often dictate what's happening spiritually. And so you get a chance. It's just a tool in the toolbox that you can pull out and use. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to walking, living, uh, trying to follow Jesus, I need all the tools I can get. I need some to be physical. I need some to be mental and emotional. And Lent gives you a chance to do that. So... Ponder that, two and a half weeks, and this is, this is the date that's coming up. So last week, we talked about the power of our words in Ephesians, and this is just a reminder of what we asked you to do, because here's what happened to some of us. We, we thought during church, or may the Holy Spirit convicted us and led us down this path, some people came to mind, and we thought, yeah, I need to do this. This is something I need to do, and then we said amen, and we got up and, you know, squirrel and all that, and we just kind of went on about our day or our week. So we, we encourage you to uh, reach out to some people in your life. Who needs some encouragement to keep on going? Who, who do you need to forgive? And we clarified this one. Some people need to know it and some you just need to forgive them and just move on. What worthless words do you need to own, apologize for? What do you see in someone else that they probably don't see? This was a little project for us last week but wouldn't it be good if it were something that you engaged in maybe one question a week, every week? If you took a look at your phone or look at your emails or your text or something and you just looked for names and said, Lord, guide me and lead me. How can I get outside my bubble? How can I reach out? How can I engage? We asked these questions and we started back into Ephesians this little time between Christmas and Lent, really because of one verse that caught my attention. We weren't through Ephesians back before Advent, and I pondered, do we, do we go back to it? Do we do something different? But it was this verse that caught my attention that made me think, I think this is important. This is what Paul writes. I want you to get out there, very first verse, at chapter four, we left off in chapter three. I want you to get out there and walk. I want you to walk. You're on a journey. You're going from someplace to someplace. You're going from A to B. You're with these people. You're traveling. You're going in a direction to a destination. And that destination might be literal. It could be metaphorical. It could be something you desire in your life, where you're moving, with your job, with your family, with your marriage, with your other relationships, whatever it is. But Paul says, look... There's a road that you've been called to travel on, and we challenge you the very first week back in this series to ponder that road. What is the road that God has you on right now? Who's on that road with you? We want you to think hard about that because you're not there by accident. Your circumstances are very specific. They're different than mine. They're different than your other friends, the people that you interact with, and then the circles that they interact with. I mean, think about all of the six degrees that separate you from the other people in the world. And God has put you in this place with these people for these purposes, for these reasons. And Paul says, I want you to get out there. I want you to walk and think about your life in this way, the people that you know, and why God has you there. I mean, you've been out there, right? You've seen the people that are there. You know how needed you are. You know how hopeless they are. You know how afraid they are, don't you? You have the same feelings. You know how unsure things seem, how tenuous, unstable. You're needed in such desperate ways that when you show up on the job site or at the office or in front of your neighbor, what's in front of you is this opportunity for you to love in such powerful ways. And so Paul says, I need you out there. Go, go walk on the road that God called you to travel. And then when he begins the very next chapter, he tells us how to walk. He tells us how to do it. He says this, here's what I want you to do. Follow God's example. Therefore, as what, what are you and me? Let's say it together. These three words, we are dearly loved children. So follow God's example. You're, his, you're just like dearly loved children. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, and then he says this phrase, walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So if you're wondering what that means, look at Jesus. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is your question. This is my question. All the time. So I got a thing to do, place to go, people to see, tasks to accomplish, family to love, dishes to clean, whatever it is. I want to walk in the way of love. So what does that look like? What way is that? What does it mean? I'm supposed to get out there and walk on the road that God called me to travel? Paul says it means you walk like Jesus. It means you love like he loves. It means you say the kinds of things that he said. It means that you forgive the way he taught us to forgive. It means that we live open-handedly the way Jesus did. It means that we follow in his footsteps. Little Christ is what Christian means. So as we do that, if you're anything like me, then every now and then you find yourself thinking things doing things, saying things that are not very much like Jesus. Did you have any moments like that this week? this is where the rub creates some friction in my life with God and the Holy Spirit and other people. Every now and then I find myself understanding this and I read it and I understand it and I see it and I feel it and I want it. And then I open my mouth like we talked about last week or I do something and I find myself straying from the path. And my life, sometimes I don't live like him. I don't love like him. Sometimes it looks not as much like Jesus as I would have hoped when I got up that day. Maybe you're the same way. And if you find yourself in that spot, then here's what you know. The, the scriptures continually bring us back to this idea. And we know this, that the one habit that I can engage in that will help me to live and love and treat other people the way Jesus treats me and the way he teaches us to treat other folks. The one habit that I'm asked to engage in was all the way back in the Old Testament. I will hide your word in my heart that I might not, what, sin against you. There's a pattern of life and I can find it and it can form my character if I read. That's not all and reflect on Scripture. In fact, survey after survey, the Scriptures bear it out. Everything we know about becoming like Jesus shows us this idea that if I can understand, read, reflect, think about my life in light of Scripture, then what happens over time, if I move in that direction, my character, my heart, everything about me begins to be a little bit more formed after the person of Jesus. And so we do that. This is why we encourage it. It's why we give you the scriptures early in the week so you can read the same passage I'm going to teach on or whoever's going to preach. It's why we have a group of people who are reading scripture right now online through the Bible app and discussing it through the app. All of this, this is designed not to check the box or be spiritual. It's designed to help us form our character and lives after the pattern of Jesus. It's really that simple. The problem is this isn't that simple, is it? It's kind of hard to comprehend and we have a whole group of people about i don't know 70 75 of us or so that are reading through scripture not the new testament but the old testament right now we're reading through the torah the first five books of the old testament how long has it been since you've read through the first five books of the old testament now you might know the stories right you know the stories right the flood and creation and all of the amazing things that happened in Genesis and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph and father Abraham had many sons. All you, maybe you remember understanding and learning the stories when they had a board in the room and they used little flannel graph pictures of Abraham and Sarah. And look, if what you remember about the Bible were the stories that you learned from Sunday school, here's a little secret for you. And, and this is what our group of 70 or so people are figuring out as they're reading through the Torah. When they told these stories in Sunday school, they left out a lot of really interesting detail. I mean, there's all kinds of things. I don't remember learning the word polygamy in third grade, right? I, th- these complex relationships and, and bitter rivalry and family and all kinds of lying and cheating, and it's unbelievable. And so our, our, our group is is reading through this, and they're going, I don't remember that part. This is, let me check. Yep, still my Bible. And as they read it, they think, this is hard, and they're having a great discussion online about all of it and trying to figure out, how do, we, how do we make sense of this? Didn't God say one man, one woman, and when was that supposed to start? I mean, it seems like it only started with Adam and Eve, and then from there it went south. So what does this even mean? How do we live this out? It's hard. So if my job is to read and reflect on scripture, if my job is to get out there and walk and I want to walk in the way of love and yet I read scripture and find myself a little stuck or a little confused and it's not just the old Testament, you would think, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's, that's the Torah. That's old. I mean, that's a long time ago. It's that way in the new Testament as well. There's as much in the new Testament that will confuse you. In fact, In this very chapter of Ephesians, I mean, we've walked through most of the verses, not every one, but we've read big sections. Even Paul can lead us down a path that we get just a little bit tripped up on. And so if you've been reading, maybe you read the passage that we were, you know, in in the E! News this week, it starts off just like this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And I feel good and I feel warm and I think Paul likes me. I'm going to walk in the way of love. And I love that idea. And then in the very next verse, Paul takes a turn. So we're going to talk about that turn and what it means and how we, when we're reading Scripture, often get tripped up and how we can find our way out of the woods. This is what he says next. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Now, it does feel like Paul made a bit of a left turn. Don't you feel like that? And I, I want pastoral Paul. Where, where did he go? I mean, pastoral Paul was kind and gentle. He called me a dearly loved child, and I like that. And then I now am in the very next verse. I didn't skip anything at all. And now Paul is turned into fire and brimstone Paul. And I think this is, this is going to sting a bit, There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are what? Improper for God's holy people. And and I read this and I think, oh yeah, totally, I get that. That makes sense. Paul's not saying anything that I have any issue with. I think it's absolutely true, but I'm thinking differently about my life now and maybe that's what he wants. And then he continues and he says this, Meddling more, Paul the meddler. I want Paul the pastor. Paul the meddler says, "Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking." I mean, I mean, if I let's be honest, if, if I had made it out of this verse unscathed, he digs a little deeper, and I find myself thinking, "Well, I, I, I kind of enjoy foolish talk." Okay, but these are out of place. Instead, you should engage in thanksgiving. It's a list. This list is a tough one. It's tough for me, and if you're honest, it's tough for you. And it's tough for a variety of different reasons. Now, It's not unusual for Paul to give us a list like that. In in fact, lists like this in Paul's writings... They happen so often. It's in 1 Corinthians, it's in Galatians, it's in Ephesians, as you see, it's in Romans. In fact, Paul uses them so often that theologians have given them a name. They call them a list of vices, vice list. This is one of Paul's vice lists. And he gives us this list and he points out behaviors that create problems. And he's doing so in a way that makes every one of us think, Well, I know somebody that does that. Did you think of that? I know somebody who engages in that. I engage in that. He's describing Joe and me. And as Paul makes this list, all kinds of bad theology, bad understanding of who God is, improper, incorrect, unhelpful, and damaging theology spring from these lists that Paul creates. And it's not Paul's fault. Paul wrote what he wrote, guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's inspired. It's authoritative. It is what it is and it should be. It's exactly what God intended. But what we do with it, that's a different thing altogether. So from these lists, we come to all kinds of conclusions And I'm including it because you and I were walking down a road and Paul says this next. So that's what we'll tackle. The bad theology that we come up with in regards to these lists that can make Scripture reading difficult, that can make you set aside your Bible, that can make you decide, you know what, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. This is hard enough. The road I'm walking is narrow and uphill and steep and rocky if we misunderstand what Paul's saying, we'll come to the wrong conclusions. So we do a few things with lists like this in Ephesians, Galatians, and Romans, and 1 Corinthians. Here are the things that we are likely to do with a list like this. The first thing we do is we turn it into what? We like law. Law is good. Law is simple. Law says, here's where you're in bounds and here's where you're out of bounds. And so when we often read the Old Testament, we know we're reading it for law. In fact, that group reading through the Torah is about to wade through unimaginable laws. You think their trouble in their heart is strong now? Wait till they get to Leviticus and they start to read the words that Moses brought down from the mountain and so on and so forth. In the New Testament, we like to do the same thing. And the reason we do is because we like to know when we're scoring well. It's what you like when you turn in an assignment. You want to know, what did I get? And if you're like my wife, Donna, and you got a B, she's like, oh, I can't believe I got a B. I worked so hard and I studied. If you're like me and you get a C, you're like, yes, yes, I passed, I passed. And that's why God puts people like us together, so that we can learn from one another, which is another way of saying what I learned from her. And so we love to have tests and we love to have grades and we love to know how we're doing and what our score is. And so we take lists like this and we turn them into law. And the law says, this is bad. And then there's other things that are good, but you'll know you're doing well as long as you're not doing anything that's on the bad list. And when we do that, we do one of two things. And this has happened since the beginning of time. And even in the age of grace, it happens. Even since Jesus, it happens. And even if you believe that you fully embrace the grace of Jesus and that you live under God's grace, it happens to you too. And it often happens when you read a passage like this or somebody's words about a passage like this. We take a list that we've turned into law and sometimes we use it against other people. Yeah, I know somebody like that. Not good. They're not good. And we use it against other people. And when we do, we fall into this category of self-righteous. Self-righteous is when we've decided... We are not something and somebody else is something else that's not good or desirable or behavior that's not of good repute, self-righteous. Self-righteous sounds like this. I've arrived, I don't anymore. I used to, but now I don't. I am here, you're there. Self-righteous grades on the curve and we find ourselves ahead of the curve. And when we find ourselves ahead of the curve, then we feel like we've just walked away with a good grade, a grade good enough to pass and a good grade enough to, good enough to get us in, taken care of. When we take a list like this and turn it into law, we use it against other people. Some of us in the room, we use it against ourselves. And so we read a passage like this and we see these things listed and maybe there's one or two that you say, you know, check, I'm good. You know, that's not me. I, I haven't engaged in that at all. But there's one or two on here that you think, oh, that is me. And he just listed them all together in the same group. And so that puts us not in a place of being self-righteous. It's another S word. It's shame. And shame says, I can't. Self-righteous says, I have. I check the box. Shame says, I can't. Shame says I'm not good enough. Shame says I'm stuck. Shame grades on the curve too. You're just on the low end of the curve. Your score is the reason why the curve is shoved the other way to balance things out. In fact, because of your shame, your sin, your offenses in these categories, you help other people feel more righteous and they feed off of each other. And if you're like most people who live and walk and breathe... Depending on the day, you do this, and the next day, you do this. In fact, most of us do both when we have taken a list like this and turned it into law. Nothing kills growth faster than being self-righteous or being filled or stymied or stuck with shame. Both will prevent you from having your character and your heart being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. Both will keep you stuck. And Paul uses lists like this all the time, but not for the reason that you think. Paul doesn't use a list like this to to put you in a corner or to put you in some sort of moral or emotional timeout or relational Strandedness from other people. He doesn't do any of that. Paul's talking about life. So if we wanted to raise our hands and say, who struggled with any of these things, most of us would say, well, probably six out of six at one time or another. And the truth is, Paul knows this, and he knows people who struggle with these things, and he knows people who embrace these things as a way to live. And he knows that if you live on the face of this earth and you are in relationships with other people, that these are issues you're going to have to deal with in one way or another. That's what makes the Scripture so real and so full of texture and so applicable to my life and your life. Paul doesn't skirt any issues. He's going to deal with them head on. We've just misunderstood, and we've used them as a measuring stick, spiritual and moral, worth measuring stick. And it's the wrong use of the words. They are not law. We should never use them against other people. Oh, my goodness. May God forgive us when we use words like these against other people. And we should never allow the enemy to use them to put us in places of shame. Never. So what's going on here with this list and why? Well, it gets worse. Just when you thought it was going to get better, it's going to get worse. Paul follows up this vice list with this... Pronouncement. Here's what he says. Maybe you've read it. For of this you can be sure. And I want to stop right there. And I think Paul's coming back to dearly loved children. He's gonna tell me, he's gonna tell me how well I God has welcomed me into his family. No, he says this: for this, of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy. If you forgot the list, I'm just gonna put them in big categories for you. Okay? If you can't remember the specific sin that you're guilty of, let me just broadly say no immoral, no impure, nor greedy person, such a person is a what? Say it with me. In fact, just say it. I am an idolater. Say that with me. You ready? No, don't say that. Don't let me shame you. Don't you dare. Such a person is an idolater, and this person, this person, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now what are you going to do with that what do you believe about grace what do you believe about your forgiveness and what are you going to do when you come across Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 what voices speak into your heart about it do you feel free or do you feel shackled what do you think Paul means are you going to rewrite it to make yourself feel better What in the world is there in the New Testament? Because it sure sounds like law to me. And if you ever get stuck when you're reading, especially the letters of Paul, who wrote more of our New Testament than any other author, then you might be misunderstanding what Paul is trying to communicate. I mean, if I were going to cast a wide net to catch every sinner I could catch, I would use words like these, immoral, impure, or greedy. Just in the last two weeks, I thought, I think I'm a little greedy. The thing had happened, I thought, I'm just I feel it rising up. I'm you know, you know what greed is, right? You have this, but you want this. You ever feel that way? Come on. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I have this and I want this. And Paul says, This this you can be sure of. Jesus loves me. No. No no immoral, impure, greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. This person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So you have to read the whole context. Let me help you find your sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card. And let me tie this together and help you understand why he said this and why he's going where he is in this chapter. When you look at this list, and we'll include at the bottom, this person has no inheritance... Once you read this with me, I mean, not out loud, I'll read it to you, but read it with your mind, read it with your eyes, read it with your heart. Paul is describing a group of people who have chosen a completely different set of values to guide their behavior and their relationships. Read it again. Whenever Paul uses a vice list, right here in Ephesians, other places in his writings, Paul is describing a group of people, and you know people like this, and we're not judging them, we're, we're observing. Paul's observing. He describes, he knows people like this, and they have chosen a completely different set of values to guide their behavior and their relationships. These people aren't saved. These people don't know Jesus. I know, you're thinking of loopholes. Just give me a minute, track with me. These people have decided these aren't, improper for their life, their relationships, or their values. You could think of, you know, the old Michael Douglas film, right? Greed is good. You could think of any other possible cultural example, but these are folks who have decided, you know what, this is just fine for me and the way I operate. I'm not trying to move away from it. I'm not trying to avoid it. It's just who I am. It's just what it is, maybe to different degrees, in fact, Paul is so plain and clear about this when he writes about it, he even finishes this passage by saying, therefore, do not be partners with them. Be careful. I mean, If you, if you link work with them, it's going to be hard because your values are different than them. That doesn't mean you're better than them. Paul makes no valuation judgments of who's better or who is um, more valuable as an individual who has greater worth. Paul just says they have a different set of values than you do, so be careful. You've been in business, some of you I know, I've heard your stories, with people who have a different set of values than you have, and it's been a bit of a problem, lots of friction. It's a deal. Sometimes it causes a deal break. So be careful, Paul says. Be careful. Be careful that you do not find yourself in partnership with them. When Paul's describing in this vice list, this group of people, he wants you to know that you've been called out of a different place into a different place. Now, don't misunderstand. Listen really close right now. Paul's not saying that people who don't know Jesus act like this. It's not what he's saying. If you think that, you'll get stuck. I know plenty of people who don't even believe in God who are kind and generous and selfless. So do you. Paul is saying that there are some people who don't follow Jesus and their set of values lead them into behaviors that look like this and they're good with it. They're fine with that set of values. And Paul says... If you're going to link lives with somebody, this is what he says in Corinthians about marriage, don't be unequally, what's the word, yoked, right? Be careful because you may end up trying to go right and somebody else is trying to go left, so be careful. So, you know, if you're going to be partners with them, Paul says, I, I say don't do that. I say you shouldn't do that. This list of, of vices that he gives when the Ephesus culture it was very multicultural, it was a metropolitan area, this was pretty normal. People who didn't know Jesus thought, well, why wouldn't I live this way? And you know people like that too. And that doesn't mean that you keep your distance. It probably means that you don't be partners with them, but you are, in their life, something different. And Paul's gonna describe what that different is. How do I know that's what Paul's saying? It's a, good, it's a good question, and you should ask it. How do I know that what Paul is saying with this list of vices is, is this? That's, those are my words. How can you trust them? Well, it's because I read over and over again in the letters of Paul words like this. Paul says, we are made right with God by what? Placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. He says later in Romans, therefore there is now what? No condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. It means that these things are true. So when Paul says somebody who lives that way has no inheritance, what does he mean? He means that they don't want to engage in life with God. And they don't, right? They've decided, this is how I want to live, this is my set of values, and this is the path I'm on. Well, God says, no, it doesn't matter to me. I don't ascribe to that. That's not part of my beliefs, not a part of how I want to walk or or who I am. Ah, so you don't want to be a part of the family? Nope, I want to be a part of the other family. Oh, okay. Well, then you get that inheritance. That's what you get. Do you remember the, the prodigal son? Remember when he went to his dad and said, I'd like my money? you remember when we taught about the prodigal son? He was saying, I want my money. He wasn't asking for it early. It already belonged to him. It was just in the dad's possession. But the, the dad knew. He's just asking what, for what is already his. When somebody decides to live in a different way, oh, can you take me back? Oh, there you go. When somebody decides to live in a different way, they're just saying, I'm just not a part of that family now. Doesn't mean they won't ever be. In fact, you were a part of the darkness at one time and you became a part of the family of God. And then God began to shift and change your values so that when you read a scripture that talked about being obscene or living a certain way, you decided, oh, I think I'll embrace something different now. I need to move this different direction. So if you're asking that question, then you ought to be asking this question Why did Paul even go there? Who is this letter to? Do you remember? To a bunch of Christians. So, why did Paul bother to list the behavior and the vices of these people who aren't even going to read his letter? It's a great question. Here's what he knows You and I live in the world, and we work with people who are of the world, don't believe in God, or don't share our values. And we're around people like that. We can begin to pick up some of their habits, maybe based on things we read, things we engage in, friendships that we have, people we work with, neighbors, and so on and so forth, family members. And Paul wants you to know is why he says, among you there must not be even a hint of this. Why does he say that? Because he sees Christians and there is in fact what? Many hints of it. So be careful, he says. Be careful. You're going to get stuck. You're going to find yourself someplace that you don't want to be. That's why he tells me and you, watch how you walk. Go on the road God's called you on. Walk in the way of love. So what does Paul have to say then for people who don't have these values? Your values are different. You follow Jesus. That doesn't mean you won't struggle with any of these things. Oh, you'd be greedy this week, but you know what to do with it. You just take it to the cross. You'll engage in some foolish talk and hurt somebody's feelings and you'll feel awful about it and you'll send them a text and ask for forgiveness. You know what that's like. You live within the mercy and the grace of Jesus. So what does Paul have to say About us who are on the narrow road following Jesus. He says this, but you, you, it's different. Your life is different. For you were once in darkness, but now you are what? What are you? You are light. You are light. You are light in the Lord. And so I want you to live as children of light. Uh, I like this Paul better, don't you, pastoral Paul? He's so much kinder. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And then he says this. This is now one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. He says this. But everything exposed by the light does what? becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated, what happens to it? Say it with me. Becomes a light. Say the whole verse with me now, everybody together. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is the power of the grace that you walk under. Did you know that this happens? The writers of Scripture in the New Testament talk about what it means to walk in the light and that something that's done in the darkness needs to be exposed to the light. And we have this feeling that when something is exposed to the light, that now we're caught. Oh, no, now I'm caught. And when you got caught, when you were a kid, you got punished or spanked or, I mean, if you were Spanker or son of a spanker, or whatever you were, or maybe you just got put in time out. Maybe something else happened to you. Maybe you got, you know, a zero on your assignment because you were looking off your neighbor and you were worried about your grades. Whatever it is, we think that something that got exposed by the light then is then accompanied by punishment. But love does not punish, love disciplines. And the difference is night and day. Everything that is illuminated, it becomes a light. What does that mean? It guides us on our path. So I discovered I feel a little greedy. I have this, but I want this. What do I do with that? Usually, often, maybe you too, I take my greed and put it away and pretend like it wasn't there and hide it. Don't talk about it. I mean, I wouldn't admit to you I was greedy, for goodness sakes. That would be embarrassing. You would think... Who is he? He's greedy. But what Paul says is I bring it out into the light and I open it up and I say, Lord, I was greedy. And God says, why were you greedy? I don't trust you to provide for me. Why don't you trust me? I've always been there for you. Trust me. Yeah. What happened with my greed? The greed became a light and it pointed me toward trust. And then I open my hands before God. And then even my sin deepens my walk with him every time. This is what God's love is like. This is why his love is powerful. This is why we are redeemed. This is why we sing God as love. So they're going to come back. They're going to lead us in this verse, in this chorus again. I'm going to lead you through a prayer about this very verse, okay? So I want not you bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, we read a, a list of vices, and we often find ourselves sometimes condemning others, or wallowing in shame ourselves. Lord, you wouldn't want neither for us. What you desire for us is a place of openness, so that whatever is drawing us away from you, or whatever is settling, settling in our hearts, we put it out in front in front of you, then we say, here it is. And then it becomes a light, and it points us down the road that we should walk. Lord, we can only do this because you are love, because your love is not focused on punishment, but teaching. That's what discipline means, to teach. And so, Lord, you teach me that my greed is inward and selfish. And when you teach me that I open my hands to you and I want what you want and it guides me to the enormity of your love where I'm welcomed in open-hearted. So Lord, right now as we sing these lyrics, would you would you call to mind something in our hearts? That needs to be just brought into the light. Lord, what is it? Where we don't trust you, where we walked away from you, where we have found something that is not of you. What is it, Lord? Just call it to mind and help us not to turn it on someone else. Help us not to turn it inward into shame. Help us to open our hands before you and say, This is light illuminate it and point me into a deeper walk with you. Lord, as we sing these words draw us to you by the power of your spirit search us and know us.